Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. My name is Lorik Kapai, and uh, I work in the cybersecurity industry and uh, active in the financial industry out of uh, Zurich. I'm a big advocate of what we call security by design, um, uh, the idea of reducing cyber risk to its minimum through, through the reduction of the attack surface at the start of whatever uh, we design, like the digital workspace or other services. And... Um, and that's that's about it from my side, pretty much. I, um, I I I I love this field. I think it's very exciting. I think it makes it makes a huge difference. And um, we are always looking for for good people and good awareness around cyber. So happy to do this podcast with you. Thank you. You mentioned uh, before we started recording that one of the the hot topics not discussed was around operational technology security. Did you want to maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think I think it's, a, it's one of those hot topics that nobody really is discussing, at, at least at, at, a, at a certain level, right? Um, we are always, you know, as you, as, you, as you guys know, we're always talking about information technology, right? So we are working in companies or uh, advising companies that that are very much active information technology, right? And uh, but we we kind of have forgotten about what we call operation technology, operational technology, or operational technology risk. Um, you know, you're talking about the, the, the bread making uh, machine that delivers all the bread in the morning to the shops, right? And imagine if that gets attacked and you go to your shop, to your market, and there's no more bread because of, of operational technology risks or the electricity grid. And um, I think that discussion deserves to be elevated uh, and, uh, and taken very seriously because we're talking about pretty much IOTs here, right? We're talking about embedded systems that control industrial machines, machinery, and um, there is little being really done or that awareness is not really up where it should be around operational technology risk. Does yeah, that make sense a little bit? It, it does. And that's one of the problems of the IoT world is, is there's a rush to push products out without taking security into consideration to begin with. Um, and you get situations like there was this, guy, there was this uh, camera system that a, a guy sold online but there was a flaw in the sense that his um, relationship with that hardware was never was never broken, so the new person could see uh, all his old recordings, and the the old person could still see the camera feed um, because there was no there was no sort of anonymization, there was no refreshing of the hardware, there, you know all those things you would think about that you that you have to think about if you're thinking about the security part of it. Um, it, it just wasn't done because that takes longer to get the product out. Yeah, that's one. That's me, right? And, and, and the second part is that most of these embedded systems are actually written in, in uh, C language derivatives or C, right? And, uh, you know, input filtering and stuff like that can be a, a very, very big problem, right? You know, on the operational technology side, you know, I don't know if you have an opinion on this, but, you know, to me, I think about how, policy needs to come into this as well and how, um, you know, governments kind of need to work together with the private sector to make sure that some of these, you know, huge things, you know, the power grid, you know, like what, what would, what would we do? So, 
you know, I guess how, how do you see, you know, policy factoring into these huge risks? I mean, especially operational technology risk. I think mm-hmm. it's, uh, you, you hit the spot, right? I think it does, unfortunately, does require a bit of a political discussion, a political kind of top-down approach. I'm not a big fan of regulation, but um, it does deserve a political discussion. That's why I meant when I said elevate the discussion a little bit, mm. the level of certain um, you know um, policy experts or policy makers uh, at the government level, probably, right? Or, or institutional level, government institutional level, right? Because I don't think that's really happening right now. Mm-hmm. And um, so I fully agree with you. It, it, has, to, it has to have a, a bit of a pragmatic approach, top, top down. Um, were possible, right? Yeah, it's very difficult to implement that. I mean, if you if you just think about the, the amount of devices that are built in in let's say the Asian factory, because most of the stuff is coming out of China, probably or Taipei or, or Taiwan. Um, someone buys that on on Alibaba or Amazon. Um, it gets shipped in here in a little br- in a little brown box, and no one's checking that box really. Um, so, so you're not going to enforce it there. They plug it into a network here, and that happens to be a, a backdoor into your your personal um, Wi-Fi. Um, you know, how, how would you even begin to stop that without having some sort of draconian? Every box that comes in has to be tested and, and pen tested. It, it would be very tricky, I would think. Yeah, and and some of these frameworks, but. But some of these frameworks need to be established, right? There must be a way mm. to certify at least some of these things, right? Um, I mean, we all know, uh, you know, what first line of defense, second line of defense, and third line of defense control are, and we're already applying them anyway to information technology in, in a very extensive way, actually maybe sometimes even too much. Um, sometimes, depending on the industry you're in, we are regulating so much that, that, that somehow uh, cyber is maybe even driven through through compliance and regulators, and I think that's completely wrong and actually dangerous because that's not how hackers operate. Um, no, but, no, it's, and it's expensive uh, because you, you, you're yeah, retrofitting yeah, it back onto old legacy environments. Uh, exactly, right? If I'm, whatever in that area. But, but I think some of that, some of the good stuff of, 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 of regulations or policy needs to come over also into the, into the IoT or into the operational technology world, right? I don't know how far or how mature that area is, but um, I, I really I'm not hearing. I'm reading too much about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the uh, the sort of bread maker example. I mean, I, I've been dreaming about a um, an app enabled coffee machine, mm-hmm. just 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 so you could start. You know, because it's. I mean, okay, look, a lot of these machines, you like, I got an espresso machine, so you have to go put the capsule in. Um, but it'd be really nice some mornings where I didn't have to put the capsule in. It was just ready. And and that was set by my, my feet going on the scale in the, sh- in the bathroom before I take my shower. So by the time I walk downstairs, the coffee has been brewed and it's cooled down to the point that I can just drink it as opposed to still having to put the capsule in, slap drink it, et cetera. Um, so yeah, Ryan, I tried to buy something like this at one point. There was a product, um, an IOT coffee maker, um, not quite as sophisticated as that, of course, but you know, where you could, um, <laughs> program it from your phone. Um, and there is, um, you know, a Kickstarter for it and it never, it, it was like years of just waiting for this product to actually ship and be released. And it never was. So, um, I just thought it was funny that you brought up that example because, um, I had attempted, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's, it's, um, 
it's one of those things that it's the whole thing about the digital world is, is, is trying to bring disjointed things together uh, seamlessly uh, and to make it more, more comfortable um, or less, less friction. And, and one of those things is re- reducing your manual effort. I mean, if we think about this in the enterprise world, you're trying to reduce the number of tickets being created for poor performance or, or something to that, that thing. But if you could save someone two minutes for making their coffee, um, you know, that, that has a, not necessarily a huge financial benefit, but, a, a, but a, com- a comfort benefit for the most part. Yeah. Lorik, what do you, what's your kind of take on the, you know, the, um, because a lot of times we're exchanging convenience for privacy, right? When it comes to a lot of IoT solutions, at least in the home. From a, from a privacy perspective, already the principle of privacy is so like a holy grail, right? It's sacred. And um, um, that has to be protected by design, first of all. But if people choose to then, right, um, if consumers choose to then really have the kind of invasion at their homes, then, uh, you know, it's their choice. Right, but I don't think it should be. Um, it should not be a, a you know a, a whitelist approach, right? It's not like we go in and we design something that does not take care of privacy, and then we turn and then we switch it on, right? Uh, privacy has to be switched on by design, right? So your coffee maker is already uh, locked and loaded with all the necessary policies to protect your privacy, right? Mm. Where possible, right? Where possible. And then the user can choose to open it up just like we do in real life, right? With our real identities and our real home, right? We let people in. They're not already in our house, right? So all these concepts as we have in a, in, 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 a, in, a, in a state of law, at least in the Western world, right? Um, or most of, most of the Western world, um, we should be able to replicate the same in, in technology. So not just from a cybersecurity point of view, but from a privacy and data protection point of view where possible, you know? Yeah, I guess does that make sense or (laughs) no, it does. And I think, I guess for me, you know, when thinking about some of these consumer technologies, I feel like there are things that are, you know, more and more, you know, that connect to Wi-Fi or that, you know, some, you know, grandmother out there, you know, using their Google home or, you know, whatever they don't, you know, there's a lack of awareness, I think on the consumer side, sometimes that, you know, what these technologies are, um, you know, recording (laughs) potentially about you. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a massive lack of awareness <laughs> when well, you hit the spot, right? And this is why, like I said, unfortunately, we need a discussion. We need a political level discussion. And that's why I'm saying it's unfortunate, right? Because wherever government plays a role, it becomes a little bit of a big discussion. Regulations come in place, right? So a lot of these companies, uh, unfortunately, have misused, um, uh, you know, um, uh, the users in that sense. And... Uh, some accepted it blindly, some still do, some don't care. But uh, I think that's 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 dangerous, right? Um, I mean, like I said, you don't just let people in your house or have people in your house by design, right? People don't just invade your privacy like that without you having some kind of control. So uh, I think I think a lot of analogies uh, are missing there, and people are not getting the, the full view of this, right? Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a level of education that's that's also missing. It's not something that's necessarily taught in the school. Um, and depending on the the size of the organisation that you're in, you may or may not get that that sort of you know computer based training that that's enforced in some levels and, and not another. This is back to your point about regulations. Um, people that have worked in banking will be uh, you know beaten up regularly by some sort of information security training. 
But if you work in another industry where that's not such a big deal or it's not regulated, then you probably won't see any of that sort of stuff, which means you don't take it back home. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's it's a bit unfortunate. Yeah, and I mean and that's and that's the problem is you don't if you don't grow up with that as a culture and it doesn't feed off into your personal areas as well, that's usually where the where the attack happens. Because that's the, that's the soft point. The, the, the banks have got enough money, or the the big corporates have enough money to to defend as much as they can. But the weakness is at the, the consumer level. Yeah, I guess you know from the education side is too. I think it's it's kind of there's a conundrum as well that um, you know a lot of the young people who are growing up, you know, smartphone in hand from a very young age, and who will be very familiar with this technology, also never knew a life before they were. Um, you know, before their whole lives were online already, like there's no concept of maybe trading over your privacy. It almost would be more reclaiming it at some point, um, you know, when you become an adult. So, um, yeah, I guess I don't know if there's, um, yeah, if solution there, if you have any thoughts, but, um, I feel like it's kind of the, you have the older, older generations who, um, you know, aren't creating that policy, that educational awareness, and then you have the youth who are just becoming normalized to how things are. Or, or we just do it by design, right? Like, mm. <laughs> so do, right? Uh, mm. you, know, um, you, you do it by design, you put privacy and security also at the center of your value proposal. I think an interesting company who has been doing this uh, or started doing this in, in the recent two to three years is, is Apple, right? Um, I think they've kind of taken this upon themselves and, Really putting putting the idea of, of privacy and and security first, or or by design there. We've seen it with mm. with, with, with that FBI case back then, right? Where where where, where Apple did not cave in, mm-hmm. uh, and then we've seen we've seen other uh, moves at 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 governmental levels um, in California. I think it was it was this started this uh, this year in January, where the I don't know which act it was, but there was another act, the Privacy or Data Privacy Act, which was pumped up or ramped mm-hmm. up. Um, this just got into effect right now, and this is yep. really a, a very new thing in the United States, right? Because the data protection laws are very loose and very much state-based. Right. So there is movement happening, uh, you know, around that area. Uh, we have to balance it out properly, and this is why coming, bringing it back to technology, technology discussion or to an engineering discussion, um, security by design uh, must take place. Doing, doing the, 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 you know, the design of the, of, of whatever service you're putting together, right? And, and, and it delivers value. It has to be sold as value, value driven. It's a value proposition. It's huge, right? It's massive. So, so why, why do you think that most organizations still have cyber as a separate tower within technology as opposed to part, like, like if I look at any project that I worked on, you know, we sort of worked, um, on our own to the point that we, we deliver what we're supposed to deliver. And then there, you'd find out there's another project being run by the cyber guys. And bear in mind, I worked for cyber as well, um, which would be almost contrary or opposite to what you just built. Um, because now they take it from a security point of view as opposed to a functionality or usability point of view. I mean, again, it requires a bit of a maturity in general, right? I think I think certain organizations are very mature. Um, and uh, And you know, have an established strong, uh, um, 
you know, um, cyber uh, risk uh, posture or awareness. And, and I believe, uh, like you said, financial companies do have that and we do that right. Uh, um, or we're doing it better and better. But um, in general, I think it's really lack of, it's really lack of uh, knowing things, right? Knowing about mm-hmm. it. It's also lack of education in the field, right? Uh, it's It has to go a little bit back to, to education itself. You know, education is conservative, right? So at school, in computer science, you barely, rarely uh, do security by design. So it doesn't even exist the security-oriented design principles come very late on when you start already, when it's too late, when you graduate, when you're still already applying stuff. I think that's a bit too late. So I think mm. it has some, to answer your question, I think it has a lot, a lot to do with education as well, Ryan, right? Mm. Um, we are technologists, uh, but, um, you know, um, uh, we are missing a, a big part of that educational aspect when it comes to security. It's like if you're driving a car without a driver's license, right? Somehow, that's, that's what, what the analogy for me is here, right? You build your project, and um, it runs and everything, but you have a driver in there who doesn't really have a driver's license. So um, there's some things that haven't been done properly. Yeah, it's actually make make me laugh. I'm, I'm thinking about the um, the amount of tutorials that I've done, you know, in, in education where you know you're writing the simplest example of 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 code to do something, but when you get to the real world, none of that stuff is is useful because you know nothing's ever that simple. Um, and you, and you don't think about security or any of those things because your, your tutorials are, are only you know, meant to be concept driven, not, not practically, uh, or practical experience driven. If that makes exactly, sense. Right. Yeah. It's very, it's very implicit, right? It's, it's very implicit and somehow everybody magically thinks that, oh, it's already going to be secure. Nobody's going to do anything about it. <laughs> right. And, uh, happens all the time. Hmm. So, to really fully answer your question, education, maturity, uh, then depends on, on the firepower, right? I mean, uh, getting security SMEs and building up a security service does cost. You need to invest, right? So mm-hmm. again, the risk, risk-driven approach. Do you have a risk-driven approach or can you completely, you know, neglect that kind of risk and still be resilient with your services? Fine. If that's the, if that's the answer, uh, then that's great. But all of these discussions need to happen at the beginning, right? to start and so, uh mm-hmm. and that's what i'm uh, advocating a lot for right so how do how do organizations go from this legacy mindset to moving towards security as design is it a matter of bringing in um new people or changing the culture or you know what would you recommend i, I think it's a combination right um uh it's a combination of uh, you know, trusting your security people. And I, I you know, I, I'm fortunate, fortunate to have that in, in, the, in the area where I work, right? That we have management that, that really understands, uh, you know, um, uh, the, the aspects of cyber and, and allows us to work closely together in designing these things like that, right? The, the way I mentioned. Um, but um, I think the industry itself needs to start selling security as a value proposition, right? Already, um, already part of, of the service. And that's why I refer back to Apple. I really like the way they did some of the latest ads. Um, maybe not late, mm-hmm. you know, where they really mentioned privacy and they mentioned that security is something that we take care of. And, and having that from a service provider that literally has nothing to do with security, I think it's interesting. Like I said, for once, for once, 
the product is designed without them having to go to another vendor and buy something and add it on top. Of mm. it, right? Uh, and and it's something that's becoming heavier and heavier, right? Because of course there's an entire industry out there, but it's heavy to do it later on, right? It's it's nicer, it's cleaner, it's more elegant to do it at the beginning. Um, so uh, I, I think I think uh, you know the value proposition side of things, Heather, um, mm-hmm. to 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 actually as part of the design process, uh, you know, understanding what is actually the value that this product gets out of out of uh, out of this uh, you know out of all this, right? And and you can actually sell that. Mm-hmm. You can still sell that, right? right. <laughs> as part of the holistic product or service, whatever you do. Mm-hmm. How do you balance the, I mean, is that trial usability, functionality, and security and, and balancing the trade-offs between them? Um, how do you avoid going into an over-secure, uh, let me maybe rephrase it. So, so you have to do the service, whatever that service is. Let's, let's say it's a VDI platform to provide um, users with a, um, a hosted desktop. And when you start out designing the service, you're, you're only thinking about des- delivering the VDI platform because you're going to have people in the office every day. Now we're in the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and you, your design was initially only planned for a certain percentage of people working remotely, but now pretty much the entire organization is working remotely. Um, do you try and conceive of that possibility right in the beginning, you know, 100% remote working uh, or do you sort of draw the line and say, well, we, we have to accept that when we get to that, we'll have to redesign or, or reapproach the design. I mean, what, what would you think in that scenario? In, uh, to answer your first, the first part of, of your question, right? Um, how do you design accordingly without killing usability and functionality and, 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 and performance, right? Again, I think companies and even small companies, even, you know, little uh, service providers, they still need some kind of risk management framework, a small one, doesn't have to be anything complicated. And by that, I mean a risk management framework without going into many complicated details around uh, a framework that allows you to ask certain questions that are just a must. How critical is my environment? Am I, can I be still resilient if it goes down? Um, uh, how am I regulated around data? Do I care so much about data? What kind of agreements do I have with my users, right? Mm. Or consumers around these areas. So, um, you know categories like criticality, and and probably most important, if we keep it if we keep it in, uh, at the cyber discussion, um, uh, that framework should allow you to ask the question of or define what is my attack surface, right? Every time you design every time you design a service, being it an end user service or whatever, you are going to expose it to some attack surface, or it will expose to an attack surface. It will expose an attack surface, right? Um, and out of that, there is then ways to. Uh, to design again securely from the start, uh, mitigating mitigating principles or implement mitigating principles to make that happen. Of course, the attack surface of a VDI-based platform um, is different. If it's higher, I cannot say. It's probably a little bit higher than a corporate device from from a from a cyber perspective, maybe right. Um, um, but you know, in this case, uh, if you have good access management or good access controls like CFA, um, then actually, you know, you already mitigated quite a lot, even in the VDI environment. I'm not going to go into mm-hmm. details exactly what, but, you know, um, uh, you already know what the VDI is. You're going to have your data, uh, you know, stored in, in, in a data center and uh, you're going to stream the stuff. And, um, 
uh, having some strong 2FA, uh, even if you get a, a you know, uh, a piece of, of, of bad malware on your BYOD, you know, data exfiltration will not be that easy, right? Printing screens and, 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 uh, you know, the core stuff of the data will still have, uh, the, the, the attacker will still have to do some work, right? Of course, they will have an important foot, footprint, but, um, access to that data will take some work to, to get to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, similar in the corporate device. I mean, um, uh, what if you, what if it gets stolen, right? And you don't have enough. You haven't done the encryption. You haven't done your homework properly, and 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 uh, and uh, they manage to break into your data, right? Get your disk. Happens all the time. So, what I'm saying is, without without solutionizing or without saying what's good or what's mm. good or bad or what's it really depends on 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 your risk posture and the attack surface. So, to answer this fully, you do want small to medium risk management framework. You don't want to overbloat it because we know what happens when it becomes too big, right? You then you become fully compliance driven and you lose, you kind of lose touch with really what is, what the attackers are doing. So you want to keep it threat based, right? You want yeah. On the attack surface, you want to, you want to understand the threat and, and based on that, do your work, right? Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say, you can't build a Rolls Royce at the beginning um, if no. you just need to get from A to B. But if you need to get to A to B and you need to consider a little bit about your path, your journey, you know, that you are a regulated industry, so you need to meet the regulatory requirements. Um, those things should all be factored in when you design as opposed to uh, trying to conceive of every possible scenario in your design, which means you end up building this, uh, you know, unusable thing. Um, and, and that's why you need, that's why you need good security SME. Mm. Right? Not everybody is a security SME. Everybody seems to be one. <laughs> if, you, if you look at the industry these days, everybody's some kind of evangelist or has had 20 years of security experience, blah, blah, blah. And then when you really go down deep and start designing some or applying some of these security principles, you usually you lose them, right? So, um, so that's also a key thing, right? So this is why, you know, going back to what you asked before, what does it take to make this happen across the horizontal? Well, you know, it does cost some money, right? <laughs> this is why it's a risk, it's a risk-based discussion for some people. And can I can I neglect this risk and still be resilient and run my services? And fine, if that's the answer, right? If yes, is the answer. But 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 that question needs to happen. Yeah. So, you, you know, you need to have a, a nice silo of uh, people that uh, know a little bit of risk management. Right, so that they can put, put together a, a risk management framework, a simple one, something that's applicable, right? The risk management frameworks that allow you to have transparent controls and measure those controls. I'm talking here from, from a con- risk construct perspective, I'm not talking about technical controls yet, right? And then out of those controls, we have the security SMEs, the guys who then build the technologies around them, right? Or, or apply them, those technologies like to a phase but strong authentication or, uh, you know, antivirus, whatever you want to call it. So that does take a bit of effort, both in 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 in, in resourcing and um, and investing. Yeah, and I suppose there's the level of what you design needs to be re relooked at regularly, or whatever that cadence is, looking for improvements and optimizations and, and, and adapting it to you know really what's a changing landscape in the sense of regulations and technology. Mm. Well, just like just like with any product or service, it does have a life cycle, right? I mean. Mm. Um, you do maintain it, and uh, why not have secured as part of that life cycle discussion? Why not, right? <laughs> um, well, it should be, but I don't, I don't think it, I don't yeah. think it is, and I think I think a lot of 
I mean, you know, if I look at some of the challenges that I've come up in my own career, you know, often when you're trying to explain to a, a non, say, a non-technical person why you need a big team, and I say big and it's all relative, to build a product, um, and one of those people needs to be a security person who's not necessarily not necessarily double hatting as something else in the team, mm. because there's so many things to look for that it is it is a full time job. And all they're seeing is the, the cost um, of another person in the team. Um, it, it is it is a, a difficult thing to get across sometimes for something that should be fairly obvious if you look at the amount of of, of attacks that, that occur every well, every minute, let alone every year. In, indeed, indeed, right. Uh... I think it's again, it's a risk-driven discussion, value-driven mm. discussion. Do you want to sell security value, or, or, or you don't care? I think, I think, mm. like I said, I think cybersecurity or cyber risk is a risk to secure, a risk to society, right? First and foremost, uh, is it a risk to information technology-based companies? Absolutely, it is. Or is it a risk to com- companies that use uh, information technology? Um, otherwise, we will not be. We will not even be having this talk. Right? There, will, there, will, there will not be a discussion. But uh, um, it's still taking some time, right? It's still taking mm-hmm. some time. Well, and, and, and there's a level of. I mean, it goes back to education. I think the the accelerated um, capability now that you can go and build an app or you can go and provide a service using some sort of cloud backend means that most people don't understand the underlying components that make up that service, which mean they don't really understand what their possible weaknesses are or where they're exposed. They just use it, you know, so they, they share that picture on which product it is or they they have a conversation they think is confidential, but actually it's not. Uh, we look at that Zoom um, stuff that was picked up a couple of weeks ago where yeah. you, you could jump on any call you wanted as long as you had the number. I, 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 I mean, to be honest, any any company or government, sorry, let's put it this way, any government agency that uses a closed source web conferencing technology is asking for, for trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, right? They're really asking for trouble. I mean, I would never do this. If I was a government agency, I would set up my, my open, nice open source based service, set up my service inside and, and, have it, and have it run. I seriously do not understand how this could how this would be a good idea. Again, this is why, because again, because the risk-driven approach was not really taken serious or did not execute properly, right? Um, uh, there is a couple of very cool conferencing or web conferencing, whatever you call it, technologies out there that are completely open source. You can see what, what the code is doing. It's been reviewed by millions of people or hundreds mm. of thousands of people. You can easily set it up at home and you have a very nice uh, transparent product for you and you know exactly what it's doing, right? Um, why this is why this did not happen again, again because of what we discussed before, because the risk-driven approach is not mature yet, right? Or 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 people just get away with it. <laughs> but, but you saw it this way, right? You, you, yeah, go ahead. Also, I don't want to make this a political discussion, but I, but I think one of the biggest problems with governments is they're not they're not typically people that are around for a long time. Um, they're there for, you know, the, the president or prime minister or whatever the designation in is, is voted in for a five-year term, or I think, I think they were five-year terms generally. Um, they spend the first year probably undoing a lot of what the other person did before them so they can show some wins. Then they spend two years actually doing something maybe, 
and then they spend the next two years of their team trying to get back in again for their second term because they like the power and they like the figure. And this is a very cynical view of politics. But the problem with that is that there's never a long-term strategy to to consider these sorts of things. So you don't have a, a CTO, CIO, CISO equivalent who's there for a long time because they're all, they're all politicians in the end trying to to keep their own agendas going, really. I, mean, I don't think there's many that are, are altruistic. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's also, <laughs> I mean, I think we're seeing it right now, how politics is failing us anyways, right? Um, which is great because uh, what politicians I mean, are supposed to be doing, they're supposed to, they're supposed to follow our interests and care about our interests and not really theirs. And that's the, that's leave the mm. political discussion there. But uh, I, I really do hope that, that what these unprecedented times that we're going through right now uh, do, um, do make some changes. And again, well, cybersecurity or, 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 or cyber warfare is not something that you can, you can, you can uh, fix by trusting others or each other, right? It's actually war. It's a, it's a military discipline, right? I'm hearing things that, oh, we're collaborating with this country and this country and that country. Um, actually, that's not how it works. Right? Oh, well, <laughs> Say it again? As, as, as I said, it doesn't work that way. I mean, it's not, it's not geographically based. That's, that's one thing. And, and second thing is, uh, it's, a, it's a weapon. <laughs> yeah. I don't think people just share, share information about their weapon systems like that ad hoc. And, and, and every company that I've seen doing this, it's just, I always get a bit frustrated when I see it happening. Oh, we're sharing our run books uh, on how our stock operates with these and that. And that's just ridiculous right? to me, it, especially at, at the governmental level. It, it's ridiculous to me. Right. Um, but anyways, that's how it is right now. Uh, <laughs> I guess we'll take, it will take another crisis uh, <laughs> or, or a major incident for, for people to wake up. Mm. And actually, coming back to you, Heather, you asked me for, well, what, what does it take usually for this to happen? Well, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, post-mortem, right? After the fact, a lot of people yeah. wake up and then, they, and, and, and then they, they go ahead. And again, that depends. How resilient are you? How much can you pay? Or how much can you afford, can you afford the damage, right? Um, I, think, I think a great example of these things in our recent history around cyber is really the not pay or the WannaCry kind of um, situations where... Uh, a lot of damage was done. Uh, mm -hmm. Some companies got away with it. Some companies managed to hide the true costs and then move on. Uh, you know, it depends. So you both, you both, um, you know, you have the GDPR legislation, right? Um, how is that? Has that changed, um, you know, things in your kind of, you know, your day-to-day -day life? Is that something that, you know, has, has changed the culture, the, the right to be forgotten, um, kind of option? Like how, how big has that, um, kind of felt from a personal level? I mean, <laughs> I really seriously do hate those, those pop-ups and, and we have to, at least in Europe, <laughs> right? Mm. You probably know what I'm talking about. I don't know. Yeah. Yet, I, Almost every page, every yeah. single website, every single website I visit, uh, you have to uh, tailor your cookies and trackings and, oh, I seriously hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, why? Because the internet was not designed with people being friendly and loving each other in place. That's not how it was designed, right? And the security aspect and the fact that we are just as barbaric as we used to always be 
um, was not something that was really kept in, in mind. So we now, on top of the internet, we've put regulations in place, which are very difficult to execute and very unfriendly and very uneasy to do. I mean, mm. that triangle around performance, usability or security, whatever you want to call it, Ryan, uh, the yeah. UG, 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 EU GDPR, uh, awesome example of, uh, of how you screw up uh, website usability, right? Very nice one. Um, how effective it is, I don't know. I, to be honest, Heather, I think a good. I think we, we need data, right? Mm. I, I don't have an answer. Um, how effective it is, how many people, I think the EU, how long has it been now? Has it been a year or two since the internet? I can't remember. Two, I, think. I, I don't know. Yeah, um, it's two now. It would be great that if the EU gets uh, released some data on, uh, you know, how many requests uh, for the right to be forgotten, how many, whatever, right? So that we actually have an idea of how effective this thing was. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the right to be forgotten, yeah. I mean, those are the kind of cool stuff you want to have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to have my name on the internet forever. If I, if I choose not to have it anymore, then I, it should be doable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I mean, the right to be forgotten is, is, is you know, <laughs> again, how do you implement this stuff, right? Um, we need the data. We need to understand a little bit how effective it was, and 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 I can't really comment right now. I think, I think, um, again, whatever whatever can secure the privacy of of individuals is 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 an important framework that needs to be put in place. Uh, how good, how bad it is, it was done or executed or implemented, right now, I really can't say. Mm-hmm. Apart from the pop up that I get every time, it frustrates me. The rest, of <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I mean, like any of these things that they put in place for the people that don't have the good of everyone else in mind. Mm. Um, so, do, and I agree with you. You know, it's it's affected lots of usability and lots of um, lots of projects that I've been involved in have have spent extra time just making sure they they are compliant when, in essence, they didn't have to be before. Um, and, and it wasn't actually a, a, a necessary objective of the project, but because I don't want to get fined for anything, um, because those fines are pretty heavy now, you know, they, they had to burn time on it. And, and it probably cost the project um, sometimes, not the success, but, a, but a, a better output than they put out because of, you know, spending money on this, this extra analysis work. Uh, saying that, I think you, you have to have these sorts of things. Um, and I think you need to have, um, again, it comes back to security by design and to, to like, you have to have some of these guys providing solutions, guys and girls, let's be fair, um, mm-hmm. where, where they are actually held accountable because for a long time they weren't held accountable. And if they got breached or, or lost some data before, it was like, oh, whoopsie, sorry. Um, but now they've had to, to strengthen their platforms and, and do the right things. Um, mm-hmm. And in that sense, I'm, I'm quite happy to to take the pain if it means that they are held accountable. Uh, yeah, fully fully agree. And that's exactly, I think, to answer your question, Heather, I think what, what the biggest improvement has been um, around such regulations is really the aspect of accountability. Now you mm-hmm. have somebody who feels accountable, at least, right? Feels. Now, if if and what happens if they get breached, that's a different story, right? If they run away, if they get away with it or whatever, I don't care. But at least mm. the idea of, of, hey, I'm delivering a service to people, to individuals, and I also have to be accountable for these kind of aspects. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important notion or an important you know, um, principle. 
and that the movie exists as strong as as it as 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 it did uh, to Ryan's point, and uh, uh, you know, makes sense. How Very easy interesting. Can you, how you can execute it? That's a, that's a bit of a different discussion, and I don't think we have enough time to do that on <laughs> this podcast. But um, but uh, yeah, the execution can be messy, especially yeah. especially if I mean they are not doing us a favor, right? These people who write mm. regulations and all that stuff, the policy mm-hmm. stuff, they they have their own kind of <laughs> uh, mastery of it. They they they, they do it in mm. a way that nobody understands it, anyways. And then, uh, I mean, that stuff should be nicely interchangeable. Actually, policies like this one, they should be machine readable for us, right? We should be able to look at the codex of EU GDPR and and uh, automate some of those implementations. <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen because a lot of people in the legal industry will probably need without jobs because they all explain to us how that stuff works, right? But mm. it shouldn't be that uh, difficult to outline it in a clear and, and, and straightforward way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know Ryan is not a lawyer. I hope, <laughs> I hope I'm not offended. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all good. I agree with you, to logic. I think, sorry, here. here that, no, um, go ahead. I mean, it's like it's like the tax systems. You know, you have these systems that are that are that are as complicated as they have to be in order to keep people busy. Whereas, if you were to look at just taking a quarter of a percent on every transaction, you would earn far more money and have far less admin, and everyone would pay their tax. <laughs> Absolutely right. I mean, the amount of red tape and bureaucracy we have doesn't really help in executing security by design either, right? Or executing nice and, and, and proper and high quality services that uh, that that individuals deserve, right? There's so much red tape. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah, I know we, know we need to wrap up in a few minutes here, but, um, you know, one of the things I know we'd wanted to discuss, and I think this goes back to Lorik, um, you'd mentioned, you know, the ability to re- remove your name from um, the web. And I know you, um, you know, kind of have... Um, you know, your personal philosophy on, on things like social media and, um, yeah, I guess if, you know, we only have a few minutes, but, um, and I don't know, you probably have a ton to say on this topic, but, um, kind of wanted just to hear about your, you know, your personal online web presence and and your thoughts there. Yeah. I mean, again, I I just want to say it, right. This whole podcast from my side is, is pretty much a personal philosophy, opinion, I'm just trying to give whatever I, I think, well, you know, that kind of worked for me and, and, and some of my pals and, and, and friends, uh, I'm just trying to express it here in the best way possible. So, you know, take everything with a grain of salt as, as with everything, right? Uh, you know, again, skepticism is an important part of, of the entire discussion. Um, as to social media and, and, um, and stuff like that, right? Uh, I, I mean, I grew up. I, I was lucky to grow, grow up in in, um, in 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 a family surrounded by people who early on managed to provide me with information technology access, right? So we had you know internet already back in '97, uh, and I could use it. You know, and with '97, in '97 I was almost 12 years old, right? 11 years old. So, um, uh, so, so the whole the whole idea of being present in the internet and talking to people and chatting and sharing stuff and having the first web conference calls already in 1999 through, through apps that already existed and, and, and touch screens and Wi-Fi, you know, I was all, all very much lucky to be part of that stuff. Right. So 
when all the new stuff came out or, or the more mass oriented stuff came out, right? Um, I wasn't really that impressed. It never really impressed me anymore, right? Uh, I mean, we used to, back in the day, I don't know if you guys remember, we used to do, we used to use GeoCities from Yahoo. And that's how we shared stuff. People had a website, we put the pictures in there. And GeoCities was awesome, right? It was like the, the static Facebook of things. <laughs> if, I might, mm-hmm. if I'm allowed to say that. But I, we really enjoyed it. You know, we would make our websites, we would share them around, we'd add people to link. So we kind of were already interacting in a way. Um, and I'm talking about 20 years ago, even more than 20 years ago, right? So, and that's where I kept it. So when, when the new stuff came out, although I consider myself, I think I, I followed in the millennial, you know, uh, um, I, I really don't, I never really was that impressed by the idea of, of giving away my details to everybody. Um, I just, I don't know, just doesn't, it's not my cup of tea, right? Mm-hmm. So I tried to keep, I tried to keep just, you know, en- enough out there and, uh, and that's it, right? Uh, thanks for making the time again. And uh, I hope everything is, is good in Switzerland. I know it's one of those, one of the countries that seems to have quite a high ratio of, of cases versus population. So, yeah, yeah, it is tough. And uh, yeah, hopefully it will get better soon. Yeah. Are you are you in the UK or? No, I'm in I'm in the US. I'm in um, the Midwest in Michigan. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. It's snowing here. Oh wow! So wow! I know. I mean, I'm 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 inside all the time, so it doesn't affect me as much. But it's still kind of sad. I mean, you have like the I think Michigan has like the coldest winters in the United States, from what I heard, right? Something like that. And I, I, I don't know. That's true, but yeah, I think Alaska probably takes the cake for that. But we're pre- oh, yeah, we're <laughs> <laughs> we pre- have pretty bad winters, so it's still continuing. Half the year is winter, but anyway, um, it's been great uh, talking with you, Lark. Have a it was great lovely history. meeting you, Heather, and lovely you chatting too. with you. Absolutely. Have a lovely day in Michigan That's, and uh, stay safe. <laughs> you too. Let's do it again yeah. sometime. Cheers, Heather. Cool. Bye. Cheers, Larry. Thanks again. Hey, Ryan. Have a good one, man. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.